0: Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with to hear how we create strategies that inspire business and how we help them create the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows so that they can get great results faster and much more cost effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it, and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very best of those. Let me introduce you to Dr. Helene Roberts, the CEO of Robinson's PLC. Helene has a degree in materials engineering and a PhD in polymer science, initially inspired by a conversation she had while she was in a gap year and doing a job as a holiday rep. When I met her, she had established herself in the packaging industry and was sharing insights about good packaging on a judging panel for food awards. For many years, she was at M&S laterally as the head of food and drink packaging, and she really valued the foundations she got there in ethical supply chains, something that she has taken with her to every role since. She then stepped onto the supply side and is now using all her knowledge gleaned in retail as the consumer in her role as CEO of Robinson's to help them keep focused on customer needs. Cranfield University highlighted her as one of their top 100 women to watch. She's acutely aware that only 5% of FTSE CEOs are female and thinks it's great for women to see people doing roles that they may aspire to. She relishes her role as CEO, which allows her to help give opportunities to others in the business and to prepare them for roles they will go into in Robinsons or elsewhere. Her interest in people, hearing their stories, how she can help them and help their careers is a common thread in every role that she has done and loved. Good morning. Lovely to get a chance to catch up with you. I am really interested to hear how you describe your job to other people.
1: Gosh, um, I mean, I'm responsible for a listed business based here in the UK, but we have operations in other parts of Europe. And essentially, uh, we service brands like Unilever, Procter & Gamble, Reckitt ben kaiser with plastics and carton board packaging across sectors such as foods, personal care and household
0: products. I mean, having had a look through the website again recently, there is nothing you don't make, I think. I, you know, I mean, what an amazing, like, paper board, you know, board, box, plastic, and loads, obviously, of sustainable plastics. And it, it is incredible. And I realise, although that business has a lot of heritage, how much it must have changed in the last decade. Or I mean, how mu- I think our industry is constantly changing anyway, But I, you know, you can really see in a business like yours, what a shift there must have been. And then, I mean, a shift into Europe too. And then as we came out of Europe, then lots of things that have to be tweaked and shifted there too.
1: I think there's there's always change. And the business has been around since 1839. So I felt quite a privilege, actually, to look after this business. It's got a huge social heritage that we've drawn on and, and we've, You know, we've really built on that, you know, certainly on the social side. I mean, the business was, you know, one of the first to bring out a pension scheme
0: before pensions even existed. It's lovely, isn't it? Real people first business.
1: Yeah. Schools for, you know, we had three and a half thousand, four thousand employees at a relatively young age joining the business in Chesterfield originally. And, you know, giving them schooling because they couldn't read or write and just giving them sort of basic life skills. As they, you know, grew up and um, became, you know, members of the team, members of the family, and they're known as Robo Girls. Isn't that lovely? You know, I met a fantastic lady, Elizabeth, last year, just before lockdown. And, you know, she was 104. Her memory was incredible, but just the reference for her of what work was like when she joined the business at
0: 13. How wonderful still to have had access to that too you know to for you to have met her, but I mean, from what I know of robinson's there is there is still this very, very strong people first ethic in the business and the the staff welfare things that you've introduced, you know, giving everybody, every single employee access to GPs and things. I mean, that was particularly important last year, I think, for people.
1: Uh, Both in the UK and Poland, this was before we had um, acquired the Danish business. You know, it was really important that people actually had access, not necessarily to do with COVID, but for all those other, you know, issues that they were dealing with. And also the mental health side, the counselling. I know that that's been incredibly popular amongst staff. So we felt that support network for people and they were all, you know, the central workers, the guys that went into the factories every day when we're all being told by text from the NHS to stay safe and stay at home. You know, there was a lot of concern uh, and worry amongst our, you know, our people and we felt that was really important to bring that to the people and support them and and it was part of the the ethic, the, the the culture of the business. Yeah. And I think the other change that we've really understood certainly over the last ten years is just how important the environmental side of sustainability is as well. So we are in plastics packaging and we're in cartonboard packaging. And from both perspectives, you know, how do we make sure that we make responsible packaging that utilises waste products, not just about use re- you know, using virgin for the first time. So that whole recycled content and many of the customers that we're working with are driving towards that. So we're very aligned with our customer, many of our
0: customer base. Yeah, that's fantastic, isn't it? Your journey into this, how did you find yourself sitting as the CEO of this business? You know, I am really interested and I have seen that you know this all began with a holiday in Greece which is not really where most people's career opportunities begin but um can you just tell us a little bit about what you were interested in at school when you know where that led you because obviously I mean incredible degree incredible PhD as well you know I mean these are quite unusual qualifications so i would like just to dig a little bit deeper about that can you
1: Um, in school uh, my favorite subjects were those subjects that relate to people and society in general so human side of geography rather than the 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 sort of ups
0: and downs of the hills exactly
1: not the physical side of geography human geography and that whole drive when i was at school it's very much about you know developing worlds and how do we get that parity and that in equity across the globe in terms yeah. of people. Um, so I think that was the first, really first love that I had. And I was interested in science, but not for its own sake. It was about how you apply it. Yeah. And originally I was going to study economics at university. Um, again, it was the people side rather than the, the academic side of economics. But I happened, as you mentioned, I was working in Greece as a tour guide in Athens. And I met a really interesting guy from uh, Jaguar. And we were just talking about careers because you get a very, very narrow view when you're at school, uh, certainly given those days, about what
0: careers are available. And you're limited by what your career staff know, and they're limited by what they have access to locally too, because I don't think then there was that feeling that you could go anywhere, that, that you don't have to work locally or... Yeah,
1: you can, you know, it's unlimited. And he was great in just making me understand what it is that I love doing and how does that apply to many different roles. And we were talking about engineering at the time. And actually, I went on then to do an engineering degree after talking to him. And I just searched the subjects and, and looked at it, looked at the universities that were great at it. And I think because I've had a year out as well, it, it led me to think I was probably different at the university than going through the motions of a, you know the next stage from school. Having yeah. that gap year for me was really insightful to think, right, this is about me and what I want to do. So I loved engineering and because it was an applied science yes, and, and about materials, you know, materials fundamentally, you know, they're fundamental to every part of our lives yep. and how you change them and evolve materials to suit or drive, you know, meet needs of, of us as people or society in general is really important and really interesting to me. And I think because I've had that year out as well, I wanted them to go on to do a PhD. And and look, when you're in a faculty of 150 students, roughly, um, and three of you are women, and all three went on to do a PhD, we all had drive. We're all really quite focused individuals. And and you stick out. You're not a lecturer. You know, you do stick out yeah. quite a bit. So uh, on a practical level, um, you can't probably get away with it. You couldn't get away with as much. But it, it was... Great in that sense. And I, I was very fortunate in that the head of our faculty, Brian Wiltshire, was so good at those people who had a drive in themselves who gave them support. And he Thank gave much. me that, he gave me that understanding that anything is possible. It's up to you. And you take that sort of force yourself and you drive it forwards rather than waiting for somebody to provide that opportunity to you.
0: And that uh, is funny, but I have always, had that same sort of thing where I've often found a job and been happier in it when the job wasn't that defined and I could define it and and I think you've got that same thing running through you too that you do have that drive so you don't need a very boxed in job you you can create the role and then that way you get a role that really fits and suits your skills and absolutely that's where I I thrive certainly yeah and um-
1: I moved then from engineering and I joined Marks and Spencer as a retailer. And out in Hong Kong first too. Hong Kong. Very much about procurement of, and ensuring that we had the right standards of products. In a country that doesn't have a reference point. So there's no Mark, there was no Marks and Spencer's. There might have been, you know, a number of stores in Hong Kong itself, but not in China, not in countries that we're actually procuring from or Vietnam. So getting that across and developing those relationships to me was really quite important. And I think at that time, it also became very overt about ethical trading was starting to come through and about understanding about, you know, how do you... So
0: when was that, roughly? So that would have
1: been about 97, 98.
0: And that was really just the beginning of us hearing about it, which now, when it's the first word on anyone's lips is incredible to think that at that time it was only just beginning that there was that balance was becoming clear, isn't it? Absolutely.
1: And it's about that sort of responsible and that partnership approach to supply. And I think that was very much about the M&S brand and the way that it did business. It was at the core. you know, And that's never left me. I spent 14 years at M&S and it was some of the best training and I worked with some of the best people. And you realise that probably more when you leave
0: yeah, that's that's so true, isn't it? When you go somewhere else, because I, I and I think we all do that about ourselves too. If you have a skill set, you assume everybody has that skill set, so there's nothing exceptional about it. And and I think that too about businesses. You, I mean, I I started my career with Greg's PLC again, a business that has people running through the core. It was what interested Ian Greg when he handed on the business to the next. MD his biggest concern was that that person kept that ethic that he had about putting people first it's about
1: the values and I think it's I I think the word that we use these days is much more about purpose not just the financial purpose but also the social purpose of any business that's it
0: the real thing that gets folk up in the morning and gets them excited and drives them to want to do what that business needs and I mean, like you say about Robinsons having pensions and things before other businesses. When I first began work at Greggs in the mid-80s, they had profit share then. They also had, um, if anyone gave from their salary to a charity, they matched it. And those things were way ahead of other businesses. And it's funny because it's often not the businesses that folk think are the businesses where people are behaving like that that are, but they're just doing it quietly. They're quieter brands. Yeah. It's it's not they're not doing it for that reason. They're not doing it to talk about it. No, absolutely. It's not there
1: as a sort of PR spin. It's there because it's 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 authentic to that business.
0: And Tiptree's another one like that, Tiptree Jam. You know, they own a huge amount of the village. They supply housing to people, they look after, they've got a little pensioners area now where they move people out of family homes into homes so that they're providing a home for them still later in life that meets their needs better and frees up those other houses and I say to them sometimes you never really tell folk about that and they say that's not what drives us to do it which I think is lovely you know that these businesses are doing it because it feels right for them not, not for any other reason. Now, when you and I first met, you were at Graphic Packaging. So that was post m and and we met judging some food and drink awards. And, and from my point of view, what I loved about that was that I was learning from you about what makes a piece of packaging a good piece of packaging and what people could add to the packaging on something that would really add value to the product. Leaving M&S and going somewhere else. I mean, you 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 then moved elsewhere too. But at the time that you were with Graphic, what did you take to that role?
1: I think when you've been in the retail side and you've got that consumer understanding from from one aspect, you can bring back into that value chain that's supporting the retailers, whether you're on the food side or the packaging or the ingredients. You've got a really good understanding of what drives a retailer and you can bring some of that market knowledge and in terms of how to service that industry really well. And I think, I think since leaving M&S, because I've kind of been in the raw materials end working for, you know, people like ICI and DuPont through to, you know, retail at the other end. I've never been in kind of the middle of my value chain in my sector. And I'd moved a number of times after leaving M&S. It was great because I worked in carton board, I worked in flexible films, I've worked in um, rigid plastic, so, so a number of different materials. So yeah, and, and I think what I brought is that genuine understanding of what the end market is looking for, what the needs are, and therefore how do we service that, not just in product, but also how do you operate in the most agile way that yeah. supports the needs? Because... You know, we've seen what's happened with supply chains in the last 12 months. It's a really, really just-in-time, very slick operation, how we get products to market, to get them to the consumer. And to do that in the most effective way that simplifies things, because sometimes things can be utterly complicated. And sometimes it's good to just take a seat, you know, sit back yeah. a bit and go, right, how do we make this easier? So I think, uh, in all my experiences leaving M&S, probably bringing that sense, that that knowledge and that insight has been really helpful. And that that hasn't left
0: me, and I've always kept that very sort of close relationship with the retailers because. And it is about your relationships. I was going to say that to you too. In the last eighteen months, people have realised, with all the problems in the supply chain and things, how much. It's about people going the extra mile to help somebody else, to those relationships you have. The, the, the people in companies who haven't cared about their staff have now found that their staff can find other jobs and that they can't keep them. And, you know, so I, I think people-centred businesses have fared better and been better able to to cope with all the ups and downs of this last two years, definitely. So... I think that's that's very true yeah what is the first impression that you hope people get when they meet you
1: i think i think probably three areas one honesty and transparency in how i work with people i'm not i'm not very political i haven't got an agenda. i don't run that i'm pretty straightforward yeah. i think it's also important when you want people to trust you is also to you know you've got to have a capability Yeah. And and I'm capable and I'm knowledgeable about my job. And if I'm not, then I've got people around me who are really good and that, that is my style of leadership. You know, when you're in general management, you cannot be the, the, um, font of knowledge across everything. So you rely on the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also about understanding what your own weaknesses are, being honest about that and saying, actually that, but that person's really good at it. So I'm not going to try and be everything to everybody. And I think probably the third part. And and this, I think, we've seen a lot during the last two years. As a leader, I think it's really important that you show the empathy and it's real. Yeah. You you can't make that up. It's not manufactured.
0: No, you can't do that. So I think it's probably those three. I'd like to think it's those three areas. That's what I would like. I'm sure it is. I am sure it is. None of of that surprises me or is something that I would question from what I know of you. So I think that's very true you've talked about recognizing within your own organization, people's strengths and using them and doing that. When you think about your career so far, you've mentioned, you know, the the guy from Jaguar that you met and what a role he played. So you really see how essential those things are. And I mean, I know you and we do a lot as well, speaking to people about What a career in an industry could be, you know, how diverse it is, trying to get the right people into the business and things. But when you reflect back now, who have your strong role models been? Who have you seen do things well and thought, what is it about that person that that makes it? Can you think of a few people? And what the other thing that I normally say at this point is, if you can think of people that you don't want to emulate, then you can say why you don't want to emulate them, but you can't say who they are. <laughs> because cause there's a bit of that as well in all of us. Do you know, you can identify things that you don't like and you never want to make somebody feel like that again or... There
1: was one very. Um, there were a few people I probably reflect on for different reasons, but one of my first uh, early line managers in M&S, Mark Shippey, uh, who had been in the feed, he has been in the feed industry for about forty years, in various guys worked within the feed manufacturing side as well as retail. What he taught me a really important lesson when you are young in your career is look at the way other people do it and see if that's something you can learn from whether it's what you want to do or what you don't want to be within so life and within business. And and be true to yourself, but you will learn from other people, people who do it well or people who don't do it well. Yep. So I think that was a really important lesson. I was very fortunate in that there are some fantastic people within my sector. John Durston, who actually set up Sid Law, and that created the, the packaging that allowed us to do prepared salads. Yeah, that, that bag of salad that seems very, yeah. very, um, straightforward, a small bit of plastic, but actually there's a lot of technology. That, a lot of tech in it. Uh, that allows that, you know, that product to breathe and to give it the shelf life it needs and to give it the freshness and
0: taste, um, uh, rather than to having to buy a whole salad and then trying to create. Or six things and make it yourself, which, you know, is never as exciting.
1: No, never. And, and never, never tastes as good, you know, that sort of having that variety. Um, John was brilliant, and what he taught me was giving up his time. He was a CEO of a very big business at one point, but he always had time with me to meet up for a coffee and have a chat. And I talked to him about various things around my career, around the sort of next steps I was taking, and just to bounce ideas off. And he never told me what to do, and I wasn't asking for that, but he gave me that way of being able to talk through and the pros and cons of things, weighing things up, and and to this day, you know, and and John's been amazing because he's. I think I've been to more retirement dues for John than everybody else put together. <laughs> he's constantly retiring, then suddenly back doing something. You know, his yeah. amount of energy is incredible. So yeah, so he's definitely one person. Um, the second one is a gentleman called Jean-Marie de Lattice, uh, who I worked for when I was in Paris for Sealed Air. And Jean Marie was amazing in that anything is possible. In a big organisation, a four billion dollar turnover business, very American, very structured corporate. How to be an entrepreneur within that? How do you create space to let people thrive and you know just just grow in a role and take the business out of its comfort zone? Yep. Um, and give you the space as an officer of that business, very senior person within that business, because you need that support. Mm-hmm. You know, to go off-piste a bit. Because I think fundamentally people need to have the the belief that you can get it wrong. If yeah. you're going to take the risk, sometimes you cock up. You know, sometimes it goes wrong.
0: A business that's only getting stuff right is not outside its comfort zone ever and they're missing a lot of opportunities. I think they, they are.
1: And that's what was great, you know, taking off at a different tangent, looking at different sectors, adjacent sectors, and seeing what could be possible and having that sort of spirit and then the support and focus around people. Cause when you do that, you, you've got to, you know, gather around supporters uh, yep. to help you deliver it because you can never do things on your own. So I think those two um, are probably my role models. And then the third one, completely different. And I'm sure a lot of people are answering this way, but for me, this is incredibly personal in my mother who was in the seventies, a working mother, incredibly resilient and just managed bringing up when there wasn't the support networks, the nurseries, all the things that you need as a working mum. And she was always a mum. I never lost out.
0: but I You never didn't feel that she had the balance of it. Absolutely. Isn't that brilliant to have had that and seen it in action? And I think you don't miss,
1: I mean, I'm very fortunate. I have a husband that, you know, quite frankly, without the support of him, I could never have achieved in my career I've always had that huge support, you know, no disrespect to my father, but a bit more traditional at that time, you know, he's yeah, in his eighties. different time. You know, so my mother did it despite, you know, very different time and, you know, all the way through. And she taught me about the importance of a bit of hard graft, a bit yep. of focus, but being your whole self, whether it was a mum, whether it was when you're at work, you know, and I, and I think I learned a lot from
0: my mother. And that is a real pull too, isn't it? Because there's always a bit more of you needed in each of them, and trying to get that balance out of that is 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 is, is not not an easy thing. So it's brilliant to have seen that up close. I think too, it's interesting because you know you talk about people at university, people that you saw early in your career, and then obviously from right from early from home. I, a lot of people that we've spoken to on the podcast talk about people who taught them stuff when they were doing a Saturday job or, you know, quite early on. So I think it's also good for all of us to be aware that even when you don't think you're mentoring somebody or helping them, people are watching you and learning from it. And to encourage that, to find time to talk things through with people and also not to think that because somebody's only with you for a fortnight or only with you, that it doesn't matter what they're doing because sometimes those little exposures to people can be the things that pivot everything that somebody does and it would be a shame to miss that opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think in turn, when you've been exposed to that and, and been, you know, had the advantage of that, I think you're, you know, I hopefully, certainly for me, I, I spend a lot of time, you know, people will just link in to me, a student yep. just wants to have a
0: chat for an hour. I think, good on you. Yeah and good that you've I mean somebody emailed me recently who is one term into their final year at uni and is already thinking about jobs and she's somebody that I've known since she was at school and every year she's Applied herself to where she wanted to work that summer and done it way ahead. Whereas I often also get emails from people who have a thesis to hand in in a week and just wonder if you could answer forty-two questions for them because they've only started to think about it. You know, I mean, there is. But this girl, I I have bent over backwards. I've posted stuff on the Guild of Food Writers for her and asked other people to comment, and she's had a lot of support. And it's been because people recognised. She was in there. She was starting early. She was keen. She was you know, pushing on.
1: But to give support to people like that is just incredible, isn't it? It's it's, it's lovely to get the chance too, isn't it? Yeah, you can't teach that mindset. That is either no. in your core, and as you say, maybe you know a product of you know, some of the influences in your earlier childhood, or as you're growing up, your home influences your school. But I think there's something in people's innate you know, mindset. Um, and their core that
0: that, that drives them, and-, and that we're all lucky to have been in environments where people have made you believe that that's possible too. And I mean, you are you were cited uh, by Cranfield as one of the women to watch the top one hundred women to watch, which always makes me smile because I think all women are one to watch. Do you know what I mean? I think
1: but there's not many of us, Jane. No, I'm the only. CEO of a listed business in our sector which is
0: incredible isn't it and I mean I have been the only woman on the board of a couple of companies and you know and and while you can recognize it I also don't want to dwell on it and somebody recently had said to me would you team up with these people and I said no because they're very focused on women in the food industry and I think there's a danger there that that makes people believe that there's more of a problem or somebody said to me once how did you get on in such a male-led industry and I said because until you asked me I had never really thought about it like that and I think you know it, just just get on with it be aware and and also encourage other women but don't polarize yourself too much either by dwelling on it you're a capable person you're a likable person you're, you're all of that and, and a lot of the other stuff is just not important and I think I think although you know it is phenomenal that you are in that position it's sad that there are so few but it's not something that should stop other people you know or hold them back or and I think when there are people like you in those roles, it's great that you are visible and are prepared to be visible because then by other people seeing that modelled, they understand that it's possible for them as well. And, you know, kids coming up through schools and things shouldn't, just shouldn't be having to think about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just it, it does to,
1: help when you have a role model. I'm sure this is true for yeah. all aspects of diversity. Yeah. If we really want to drive that, when you do have the role model, you think, OK, that's possible. I didn't have that, and that's fine. It didn't, as you said, it it, it didn't matter. It didn't stop me.
0: No. But I think it does help people if they are as... If you can identify with somebody that that there is somebody like you who is showing that that is possible, that's great. And, And I suppose I do feel when I am managing a business,
1: how do I drive that sort of getting a more balanced approach to gender? And the only reason for doing that is to get the diversity of thinking as well.
0: Yeah, because everybody has different life experiences and thinks differently.
1: So you want them all in there. Yeah, absolutely. But it also then, you can choose genuinely the best person for the job in, in succession for me. Yes. You know, with, whether that comes internally or externally, if we're ready for that stage. You know, it's about bringing those people through so they can be on, you know, in board roles. They can start to do non-exec roles in that, you know, later in their career. That's right. When they can really provide some of that diverse thinking, which I think, you know, to to the benefit of any business
0: is is to everybody's benefit absolutely and i think that's a good way to look at it that that's a, a good reason to look at where your balances are to make sure that you're getting all those opinions in yeah no i think i think that does matter We often ask this question, too much of what is never enough? Now, it can be too much sunshine is never enough. It can be too much time off. I know you're a runner, so I know that, you know, it might be too much running is never enough. What are the things that you think you could never have too much of? Oh, amazing food.
1: Going out for a fantastic dinner. You know, I constantly have to pull myself back, whether it's a great glass of wine or can never have enough of it, quite frankly, or food.
0: It's great to have that interest in it too, isn't it? Yeah.
1: I I think it's about you can never have enough of a great new experience of learning for me. If if I, if I stay in a job and I'm no longer learning and I'm the grumpy person in the corner, the corner of the, the meeting and I'm going, oh, not that old chestnut again then I know it's time for me to move to that next day.
0: stretch yourself. Yeah.
1: For me, it's about learning. If I go into, uh, you know, a day's work and I've learned something rather than something just, you know, coming out of my brain, then I know I'm in the wrong job. For me, it's about
0: learning. It is. And I can identify with that too. I know when I've done roles in other businesses and then you get the business to that point, And some folk would be happy then just to coast, but I'm like, there must be something more, there must be something else. And that's why I love what I do now, because I'm working with lots of businesses, helping them sort a mess out and then letting somebody else maintain it or, you know, helping them find a new solution to something and then letting Other people maintain it because I don't have the patience to do the maintenance part of it. It's the fun part. It's the building, isn't it? Well, it is, but some people don't like that. There are other people who hate change and love that consistent level of something. And I can admire people that can do that because that is not me, but we need again, we need that mix of everybody in a business, don't you? To, to get the right things. I know that's true. What, have you done that when you look back now, it amazes you that you stepped out of your comfort zone in such a big way? Is there something you think, I never, if somebody had written a piece of paper 10 years ago with this on it and passed it to me, I would never have believed I would do it. I've got I've got probably two. One, one's, yeah. Let me do the personal one.
1: I have spent my whole life, say, so up to the age of 47, saying I can never run. Um, I just can't run. I mean, I did hockey. I did lacrosse. I did lots of sports that required hard, running. But running, but running I was never a cross-country runner at school, let me put it that way, and just not not me. And then during lockdown, when you couldn't go to the gym, you couldn't do keep fit in the way that you've been doing it before, mm-hmm. uh, I said, right, that's it. And I, I'm very fortunate I've got the most gorgeous dog who's a Saluki, so they're born to run. Yeah. Um <laughs> uh, And I I just not walking anyway. No, he doesn't. He runs slightly faster than me. But he's brilliant at keeping my pace. Yeah. So the two of us learned to run together. So I did a couch to 5K, you know, one of those apps. Uh Uh-huh. Brilliant because it overcame that resistance of, I don't know how I've got the mindset or the drive to get to 5K. Yeah. It kind of broke it down a little bit for, you know, a very amateur runner Um, and probably stopped me pulling, you whatever ligaments, tendons. and and sort of
0: and running out in the countryside so running not on concrete or
1: um I tend to do road running because I've got him with me when I'm at home yeah um I have run across fields but you've just got to be a bit careful that you don't you know affect your ankles or anything Mm -hmm. but I run anywhere now so when I'm going out to to stay up you know we've got sites in Chesterfield and in Nottinghamshire there's some amazing countryside I'm staying out in the
0: Peak District yes and and I'll run there um, yep. across you know And that's the thing about it, it's portable, isn't it? I just pack like the trainers. You, I would have said I am not the shape to run. There are assets that I would not have been given if I was expected to run somewhere. And and then I was training with a personal trainer and I had said to him, There is no more time in my diary for exercise, but I know I need to do more to allow me to be able to eat everything that I want to eat. So how am I? And I mean, you know, more and more in the industry, you meet people who are triathletes and things, and it is all about burning what they want to take in. You know, it's not necessarily because they were driven to be a triathlete. It's just about trying to do that. And I haven't gone that way, but this guy had said to me, the only thing you can do is speed up the amount you're walking, i.e. run. And I went, Ugh. And and then he he and I began to and he at first thought, because I'd said, I oh, don't run, he was like, but you could, you're fit enough to. And I was like, no, 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 it's not that. It's just I've never got up in the morning thinking I want to run. But because it would allow me to eat what I wanted, it's amazing how I have fitted it in. And it's a great thing because you can go anywhere. And as long as you've got a pair of shoes, you can do it. You don't need to take any other kit with you. And and in the last couple of years... Dog walks at the same time and,
1: yeah.
0: you know, my tie him out of it. My two have got short legs and they ain't running. Although they will pass you if they see a squirrel or... That's the thing I Something do. like that.
1: I've got to be careful if my dog sees a squirrel and you're already running, then momentum, he can, he can carry me. Yes. <laughs> I've had a few tumbles, I have to say, just... Oh the squirrel
0: but oh bless i know i know i've got one of those running dog leads do you know that so that you you can keep your hands free yeah i know it's a good it's a good thing it's amazing what we can teach ourselves
1: i think that's my personal one and then business wise i think when i went from being the subject matter expert into general management my first md role it was like holy hell this is different
0: And there's a whole new set of skills
1: you suddenly need. Absolutely. And that's when you realise, I think really when I realised that it's not just about you knowing everything and directing the orchestra. You've got to understand who brings what within the team and, and how do you get that support. And that
0: not everyone has the same mentality as you do. So what is the thing that gets them excited, motivated, happy, i trying to find all those things, but it is a completely different skill set, isn't it? And I recently have had another discussion with somebody about where do you learn that? Because suddenly you're you're really good, you're head of department and then you find yourself in a general management role. And it is a totally different skill set. And, and I think, again, now you recognise within your business that those people that are good at their expertise, it doesn't necessarily translate and so how do you give them those extra skills within your business so that they can then step up and take those next roles but feel a bit more equipped to do it
1: yeah absolutely and and those soft side of skills not just the technical skills and really quite key yeah
0: yeah and and in order to keep that company culture of people first and things to you know there's a lot to teach people yeah Absolutely. No, that's good. What have you eaten recently that you've loved? i tell you
1: what, the thing that sort of sticks in my mind, and it's probably more about the service than the actual quality of the food itself, is I think having spent a lot of time in the two of us, love eating out. You really miss that. And that's one of the biggest things, just nipping into London and just going out for something new or to a favorite restaurant and say, God, I just want to go out and do that. And we had our wedding anniversary and it was right in the middle of the first lockdown. And we were kind of like, God, I was depressed. Um, so I thought rather than subjecting us both to cooking a, you know, a nice dinner, which we love doing, but I wanted to do something that was a little bit more special. And we went through a company that just, I, I'd only just heard about, it. it may have been going for a long time called Dispatch. And it meant that I could have a really nice dinner. That one was from Angela Hartnett. Yep. Brilliant food, Italian food, which I love. Great raw materials that she uses and, and the flavors that she uses. And for me, um, having that dinner and something so special in a desert, a drought of good food yes. was just, yeah, for me, knockout. Just And we've done it right. since, you know, with the Ottolenghi, you know, those sorts of
0: great yes. foods. I mean, during lockdown, when we were interviewing people, I nearly always was saying, what was in your fridge that you've liked recently? You know, because there wasn't... And I think it's made us all appreciate that more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just, I love the whole, you know, trying something new, trying something different in food. Yeah. Going back to some of the ingredients that you love, but seeing what people can do with it. And that sort of combinations of tastes for me that, you know, I hadn't... So when we went to Ottolenghi's, I love burrata. It's one of my favorite yes. foods. I, you know, the desert island question, if there's, you know, food to take to the desert island, burrata would be in there. Yes. But he did it with the most beautiful range of, of spices and also these, these really lovely grapes that were quite sour. Mm. And it was a really
0: nice combination I'm with sure. a bit of, and it is that combination of things, isn't it? Yeah. I did a cheese making course last year. And which was amazing. And we did it in Tottenham with a company called Wilds and I did it with my nephew. And it amazed me on a lot of fronts, starting with 20 litres of milk and coming away with six little bits of cheese. I couldn't believe how much milk went into it. And now I fully appreciate the price of artisan cheese. It's always good to learn a bit more. But I had said to them, when because I mean, we made a brie style cheese, we made a blue cheese, we made a hard cheese, we made a cream cheese. And I said, could you teach us how to make burrata? Could I come back and do a class in that? And his response was, no, it is the work of the devil. Because he said it is mozzarella with double cream in the middle of it. And I don't know why, but in my mind, it always tasted fresh. And I had never really... It's delicious, but I'd never really dug in in my mind, you know, like, what is this? But he said, I won't teach you how to make it because it would be catastrophic if you could. <laughs> and I thought, it's so true? But it has ruined burrata for me, which I love as well. But I think, again... And I always it, thought it was low like
1: calorie. I thought it was really
0: healthy. Uh, yeah, no, me too. I had just... That's what I chose to believe, quite frankly. And so that's it. But I mean... When you eat it, as long as you're eating it with all the other stuff, everything is about balance. I hate to, I hate hearing anyone saying I don't eat this or I don't eat that, unless you have a food intolerance or something. There is no reason to think of things as good food and bad food, you know. And it's such a damaging way to
1: absolutely. And I'm, really, I'm like that with my ten-year-old daughter. Just making sure she's never close to trying something new. She might not like it. That's fine.
0: Yeah. But at least try it. Yeah. And it, and I mean, your taste develops too. There were things I hated as a child, marzipan being quite high up on the list. But good marzipan is a good thing. And, and it's also about that. Is your experience of it because you had a bad one or is it that you just don't like that thing?
1: Well, mashed potato was purely because I grew up in primary school on smash. You know, reconstituted yes. potato that was lumpy. And I wouldn't eat mashed potato for years, but
0: now, I mean, give me beautifully mashed potatoes and it's... Absolutely. It's, it's the butter element that's in it that also makes that delicious. But, but also, you know, good, the right variety of potato for the job as well, you know, is is a big part of it. Absolutely. What would you tell somebody who was wanting a role like you have now what would you say to them when they're starting out is important
1: being really open to experience not worrying about failure uh, but learn from it don't, yep. don't make the same mistake twice genuinely learn from it and spend as much time with other people as you can and i think you know hats off to people who've joined businesses in the last two years because you don't have that office environment In you, you haven't you know when you're working from home yes. and, and we've got a number of people and and we've worked hard to to really provide that sort of camaraderie that that feel and that openness yep. of discussion so we can it's really learn ones. about the business but for me you know as the world opens up hopefully eventually to get some sort of level of stability spend as much time learning from other people would be
0: my that's that's good advice. Are you somebody that likes to read? Do you like to read fiction just to switch off, or are you a business book reader or a personal development reader? Um, what's your preferred
1: bit of all different times? So if I'm on holiday or last thing at night, um, I tend to read fiction, but I can read a lot around whether it's online or you know physical books. Still like reading a physical book or two. I like the personal development, as long as it's something relevant to what I'm thinking of or trying to develop it. With something you
0: can apply.
1: And something that's practical that I can apply. And I read a book recently called Resilience, which I thought was um, a really good book in terms of just thinking about the, the the mindset that we have and how you help to coach other people. and. Develop that resilience because I think we've all got it to a lesser, a greater extent, lesser or greater extent. And and I was listening to a a radio for podcast on resilience about real resilience. People here have been in incredibly traumatic, difficult situations and how they had the resilience to get on with life. There was one amazing lady who'd lost her daughter and her husband in the um, Indian bombings. a number of years ago, American lady, really fascinating woman to listen to, but the level of resilience for her to get on with life, to almost overcome that and still want to live life fully and almost, you know, create her next stage of her own journey, despite that terrible trauma, you know, put it in perspective, the things that I have to deal with, but it's the same sort of um skills that you have Skill to. Fit. Yeah. So yeah. for me that that's the latest probably good read that I've had. Okay.
0: And finally, if you could take three things, food or pieces of food equipment with you to a desert island. Now I think we've already heard what one of them will be. But it has to be the barata, doesn't it? Tell us what else you would take with you. It machine wise it'd have to be a good coffee
1: machine, a Jura coffee machine, you know? <laughs> it it just it's just up there. Um, yep. forget everything else um, another food product probably sashimi i love raw fish yeah i'm not such a keen fan of sushi i do
0: like it yes there's something about that purity of taste across the field. i love ceviche and things like that as well it's that yeah patchy you know i love
1: that sort of yes. eating cold almost yes. but eating that really good ingredient that
0: you think is so good You can't do anything to it, perhaps. Simple things, well done, is often something that Helen Lyons and I always used to refer back to as well, you know, because those are the things that rise to the top. Even when you've tasted a 100 food products, the thing that stands out will be something simple that has been thoughtfully prepared. Absolutely. And I think that's why
1: I love Italian food. I love Japanese food, that sort of simplicity of it, but beautifully
0: executed and it's seasonal and it's yeah no that's really good good oh I could survive on that desert island I definitely could (laughs) that's wonderful thank you so much for talking to me that's flown by but that's been great and I think we've covered a lot of ground well it's been lovely talking to you Jane Thank you for listening to my podcast, Let Me Introduce You with Jane Milton. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect us on social media at Jane Milton Food. If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode.